This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, seven of eight NLL teams have clinched spots in the race for the NLL Cup, a defensive battle between the Rush and Mammoth, the Seals ran into two very tough East Coast opponents, and Friday night, a special night for Jim Veltman. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks for stopping by for another show. Uh, we may sound a little different today. Uh, I'm trying a little something new, trying to build myself that home studio that I've always been wanting. So if the sound is a little off, bear with me. I'm trying to mix and master and trying to figure out the proper settings on things, but we have got a fantastic show lined up for you today. But first, if you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, always continuing to have great conversations with lacrosse fans around the world. Uh, big news out of the National Lacrosse League, sort of. Uh, talk of divisional alignment for 2020. Um Philadelphia let the cat out of the bag prematurely. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, later on the show. But Julian Garitano, the Colorado Mammoth, will join us. We'll have our weekly chat with Smoke and Pat, as always. But our special guest this week is one of the National Lacrosse League's all-time greats. He currently holds the record for most loose balls in a career. Brody Merrill might break that in a couple of seasons. But Jim Veltman. We'll have his number 32 retired by the Toronto Rock on Friday night, in which will be an incredible, emotional, and amazing night at the Scotiabank Place. It's not the ACC anymore. I keep wanting to call it that, but uh, it will be a very special night Friday night. So Jim Veltman will join us on, later on in the show. But let's kind of quickly recap week 17 that was the National Lacrosse League uh, as we get closer and closer to the playoffs a six-game weekend. Toronto beats Buffalo in overtime 12-11. That's a huge win for Toronto. Uh, it allowed Georgia to catch Buffalo for that number one spot overall. Also on Friday, the Swarm put an absolute whooping on the San Diego Seals down in Georgia. But the big news coming out of that game was not only the injury to Kyle Buchanan, who took a bit of a shot to the head and never returned, but more importantly, a possible leg injury to Austin Stotts, and the play that when it happened, it wasn't an overall dirty play when Connor Sellers hit him as they went for a loose ball by Mike Poulin. It was just the impact of Stotts being hit, uh, his foot being planted into the ground, him going back first into the boards, and just the overall collision of it. Austin Stotts was carried off the floor. Uh, he looked to be favoring his right knee. He the right one that he wears a brace on already. He came back out maybe about 10 minutes later, but he didn't seem the same. And he was hobbling. He was limping. He didn't have the strength. The guy is an absolute warrior, and he wants to be out there competing with his team and his brothers. Unfortunately, he being out there may have probably not been the best thing for him, as he may have ended up doing more damage to his leg than originally figured, but nobody knows uh, what the results are of that injury. I reached out to Pat Merrill uh, 
to find a little update on both Austin Sots and Kyle Buchanan, and he didn't really have anything for me. And truly, I didn't think he'd probably tell me much, especially since I sort of represent uh, a West Coast club, and those teams could clash in the playoffs. But for everybody's sake, I think in the, throughout the lacrosse world, um, you'd like to see a guy like Austin Stotts not be too badly hurt so that he can continue his rookie year, a rookie year that has him leading all rookies in points. Uh, he'll probably win the rookie of the year. I don't think this injury is going to hurt his stock in that category. Uh, I'm sure guys like Steph Charbonneau, Kyle Killen, and others are having great rookie seasons. Trevor Baptiste put him in there as well. I just don't think you can take away from what Audie did uh, for a brand new team in a brand new market, uh, a kid as young as he is, to have the success that he's having, I just don't think you take away the rookie of the year from him because he got injured with three games left in their schedule. But it's just a disheartening thing to see a kid that young take an injury like this because you never want to see a player go down with an injury, especially one that could be season ending and could have him out for an extended period of time. So let's just hope that Austin Sots is okay. Let's hope Kyle Buchanan is going to be okay and the Seals can get back to playing their brand of lacrosse because unfortunately they went into San into Georgia and the Swarm just took it to him from the opening whistle. San Diego just didn't have an answer. Frank Chiliano kind of looked a bit of a shell of himself. He didn't have his greatest game. And then, obviously, when you lose Stotts and you lose Buchanan, that hurts your offensive flow, and they just couldn't find a rhythm. And then the next night, they have to travel up the coast and go to New England. It's not that hard of a travel as they went from Georgia to Hartford, I believe, on a direct flight. But it's still... Counting with all those injuries, playing the night before, you're going into playing a team that's rested. And New England didn't hold back any punches. They jumped out to a massive lead in that game. I didn't think it was going to be close. And then San Diego showed a ton of heart and a ton of persistence to get themselves back into that game. And they finally would lose by three. When at one point, I think they were probably down about seven or eight at one point in that game. But that's a tough weekend for the Seals, probably their toughest of the weekend. We'll talk to Pat Gregoire more about that and the effect it could have on this club moving forward. Also on the weekend, we talked about San Diego, New England. We talked Calgary and Philadelphia. Calgary officially knocking Philadelphia out of the playoffs with an 18-13 win on the road in Philly. Um, not exactly the greatest of year for Philadelphia Wings, their team and their fans, uh, but that's a big win for Calgary. They get 11 points from Dobie, 10 points from Dutch, a team that's starting to find their rhythm. And maybe this is kind of like Colorado going into Vancouver a couple weekends ago where they put up great numbers against a subpar team. And so those numbers could be a little um, sort of, not accurate. I'm, that's not how I wanted to say it, but I couldn't find the words in my head right now. Um, Calgary is a talented team, and to put up 18 on anybody is a big number, but I just don't think that Wings Club is a defense that you can um, compare them to. Much like the Mammoth, where they put up two great games against Vancouver and, and got two huge wins, and then they ran into Saskatchewan and were only able to put up seven for the second time this year uh, against the rush. 
And so Calgary is a team that's fighting for that third playoff spot. They're still trying to get maybe even that second playoff spot in the West. They're only a game back in Saskatchewan, so there's still time. Heck, they could even get first overall. That's going to be pretty tough, but I think as this club goes on, they're going to have to continue to have performances like that. They're going to have to get stellar goaltending from Christian Del Bianco. Uh, the defense has to play strong, but more importantly, I think their transition game needs to be one of their biggest focal points because they're going to put up numbers offensively with that group out the front door. But transition for that group is going to be key down the stretch. But it was this Saskatchewan-Colorado game that obviously I paid the most attention to uh, and the one I'm going to focus on a little bit more than the others here. And I think that's mostly because of what it says about this Colorado club. And like I mentioned, in the weeks before they had a, the bye week, they were in Vancouver and then at home against Vancouver. They win both those games. They create that gap between them and the Warriors. They really put a firm grasp on that fourth playoff spot. But unfortunately, the Saskatchewan Rush are their kryptonite. They've now lost eight straight. I believe it's 11 of the last 13 games these two teams have played each other. The Rush have come up victorious. And that offense that was so high flying just didn't have it. And they were unable. In the, actually, in the first five minutes, they had it. That was probably one of the best opening five minutes the Mammoth have played all year. But unfortunately, they hit two pipes. Uh, they missed one open net uh, on a bit of a tough angle. And Adam Shute made about four or five big-time saves in the early part of that game to keep his team in it. When over that opening five, Colorado probably should have been up three or four nothing. But instead, it's 0-0 going into the TV timeout. And after that break, Jeff Shatler scores a couple minutes after. They take a 1-0 lead and they start to roll. And Colorado never seemed to find their rhythm in that game after that TV timeout. Adam Shute was fantastic, but he wasn't really tested a whole lot. Uh, Dylan Ward was the busier of the two. He faced 55 shots all night, made 46 saves. And while that may be a bit of a normal night for Dylan Ward, you know, just... Player playing-wise, I don't think as a group you want to be satisfied with A, giving up 55 shots to a powerful offense like Saskatchewan, and B, only putting 34 shots, I believe, on Adam Shute. The offense looked tired. They were off-kilter all game long. Uh, Saskatchewan only had 12 turnovers the entire game. Eli McLaughlin had 10 by himself. And you're not going to win many games when you're turning the ball over that much. You're also not going to win many games where you're out loose balled almost 2-1. to one. I think this game was a bit of a wake-up call for the Colorado Mammoth. I think this is a group that has to sort of refocus as Rochester comes into town. A team that may be out of the playoffs, but they're trying to play a bit of a spoiler uh, Ryan Banesh coming back to town. There's a lot of storylines with this game coming up on Friday night. So for the Mammoth, just put that game behind you. Got to forget about it. And you got to focus and recenter yourself because you hold your own destiny in your hands. You got to win to get in. And they just need one. And then after that, they can slowly start to focus. 
Uh, the other game that I didn't touch on, Rochester beat Toronto 12-10. Uh, Rochester had already been eliminated from the playoffs um, with the New England win. But I think this is a Rochester team that, that is playing some good lacrosse. They stymied a very talented Toronto team that came off a win over Buffalo 24 hours before. So they maybe were a bit tired. But we know in the National Lacrosse League, Teams playing second games of back-to-back often have some solid success, but it wasn't to be on this night. So a good win for Rochester, like I said, who's now won two in a row, uh, and they'll head across the Rockies to take on the Mammoth Friday night. Myself, Jamie Shuchuk, and John Gallant will have that call for you on Altitude and BR Live. Speaking of the Mammoth, Julian Garitano got his first ever National Lacrosse League goal, the Third-round pick out of Sacred Heart and an Ironhead Junior B lacrosse player. Uh, took some time to get into the everyday lineup for the Mammoth, but now he seems to be a mainstay for head coach Pat Coyle. And he took a big hit a couple weekends ago from Matt Beers. Bounced right back up. Scored a big goal. Took a bit of a hit from Jeremy Thompson in the process. Bounced right back up. And that's just kind of his M.O. So when we caught up with Mr. Garitano, he was kind of busy at work, but not exactly... He was preparing for the Masters. So, so let's chat some golf with Mammoth rookie Julian Garitano. Jules, let's see. Are you happy the Masters are here? Uh, just a little. Pretty excited for it. Yeah. Are you a Tiger guy? McElroy. Oh. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to do it this year and uh, complete the Grand Slam. I'd like to see that, though. I'm a bit of a McElroy guy myself. Yeah. Uh, are you a golfer? Jules? Yeah, uh, worked at the golf course oh. for uh, the past two summers. So you're going to take the Mammoth Team Golf Tournament this year? Uh, if there is one, I will. Oh, but wow, I, bold words. I know i got to compete with Capito, but yeah. What's your pretty cap? confident. Do you have a handicap? Ten? Oh, you and I got to get a game then, buddy. Play a lot of golf during the summer because I work there. Yeah, fair enough. What course did you work at? Angus Glen. Oh, Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty big course, Jules. Um, You guys have had a few Canadian Opens there. Yeah, two Canadian Opens and a Pan Am. Creepers, creepers. So you've seen a lot of good golf. Yeah, it was pretty uh, cool to see Tiger in 08 when he was there. Yeah, right. Um, The man was coming off a a tough loss this weekend at Saskatchewan. Uh, What were your thoughts on that game once it ended? thought it was a good learning curve to kind of see what we're going to have to go through uh, the very last game of the season and probably through them in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, you guys kind of are on a bit of a collision course, but coming off those two games against Vancouver, how much did that bye week hurt you guys, you think? Uh, I feel like that's kind of an excuse to blame the bye week. We should have been rested and ready to go. Maybe we lost a step and relax a little too much, mm-hmm. but I don't like to cough out and say the bye week is the cause of us uh, losing that game. Jules, you're a pretty serious guy, man. Let's have a little fun here. Relax a bit. Um, <laughs> give me some dirt on Pat Gregoire. Some dirt, smoking hot Pat Gregoire. Yeah. Give me some wow. Uh, probably one of the best hands in Ironhead's history. Come on. No, that's a complete total lie. Like, best-looking hands? Okay, that's a complete <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole lot better. He, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. I played with him for two years, and then uh, he was my coach for two years, I believe. And we've been friends through it and ever since. 
Great guy. What's he, um, yeah, what's he like as a coach? Serious. You think I was serious? <laughs> he likes to buckle down and have a tight ship. Ah, I've been helping out uh, with um, their runs before tryouts, and yeah. uh, he likes he likes getting out there and showing how the drills are done. Oh, so he's participating. Oh yeah, not not wearing gear, but if he can uh, do a drill, he'll get in there and show the guys how how to mix it up. And you say <laughs> his hands are terrible. Uh, they're they're not the best. Fair enough. But they get they uh, get the job done. <laughs> That's true enough. Um, let's get back to the mammoth a bit. Uh, you got your first goal in the National Lacrosse League. A nice take underneath. How special was that moment for you? I, I honestly didn't even think it went in for uh, about five seconds. If you watch the video, you see Rooster come up to me, and I, I asked him like, "Did that go in?" And he goes, "You scored." And then you just see us jumping up and down. It, it I thought you were more worried Scott Campbell was going to fight you. Oh, I was like soupy. I got pushed. <laughs> you did. That's true. Yeah. And um, if, I mean, it was just a great feeling still is. Every time I've seen a like on uh, the video and it pops up on my phone, I kind of just watch it again like, holy crap, I I did it. <laughs> you, you did do it, buddy. You're a, you're a full-time national lacrosse leaguer now. Uh, you were a third-round pick by the Mammoth, 35th overall. How special was that moment uh, when you got to hear your name called? Uh, it was a dream come true. I've always wanted to play lacrosse at the top level. And hearing my name, having my family in Philadelphia at Xfinity Live for the draft, it was just a dream come true. And uh, it's probably one of the best moments in my lacrosse career. That was a pretty unique draft as it's usually been held, you know, either over the phone lines or at the Toronto Rock Athletic Center. This time it was at Xfinity Live. How surreal was that experience of having a draft in a bar? It was pretty cool because uh, the event hall has different venues in it, but then in the middle of the event center, there's these two island bars yeah. that all the draftees were at, and then fans and family all around with the uh, NLL staff kind of in booths closer to the stage. So it was kind of cool just to be like the center of attention, and then you walk down a, a tunnel of teams up on stage it was awesome yeah. uh you mentioned you're a part of the ironhead junior b program uh, a very up-and-coming program that maybe doesn't get the respect that's gotten over the past few years how important was the ironheads to your success coming into the nll uh it played a huge role because every year i'd come back from school and only be able to get five six games in before playoffs so uh, the team had to play real hard all year to try and get into playoffs and then when i got there i didn't want to take a step back and I just pushed and we tried to get as far as we could every year in playoffs. Uh, you're a sacred heart guy. Um, yep. How many shrines to Bill O'Brien are there? Zero. What? Come on. Hurting was like the football God. I'm pretty sure they got no rings when he was there. In my time, <laughs> <laughs> in my time there, uh, no one mentioned him. And then the football team actually has won two uh, NEC titles in the five years I was there. Were, were you there when he was there? Uh, no, I was not. You were after him? Yeah. What was Sacred Heart like? Is it as fancy as it sounds? No, it's up and coming. Uh, it was a small school, but it is growing. In the time that I was there, it completely changed, having buildings built, um, new athletic center it was just put in, and uh, the lacrosse program is bar none. Uh, Coach Bassey runs an amazing program. 
and I owe a, a lot of my success to him and uh, listening and watching him. Uh, are they doing well this year? Haven't yes. Keeping up. Yeah, they're uh, doing well. Right. Right now they're in a NEC playoff spot. Yeah. Uh, they beat Bryant for the first time ever, which was huge for our program. Yeah. And roll piles. <laughs> roll piles. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty good spot for them. The NEC is Northeast. Is that what the NEC stands for? Yes, sir. You know, I'm a West Coast guy. I don't know know all these fancy lingos. Um, you and I got a chance to sit at lunch uh, the other day before the game, and I watched you put away a meal that could feed six. Um, <laughs> have you always been a big eater, or is that just a game day thing? That is solely on game day because yeah. I don't like to eat too close to the game, so I'll pack it in after shoot-around, yeah. take a nap, and then I'm, I won't touch food until after the game. Wow. Yeah, I always used to want to eat as much as I could leading up to the game and then get a good meal in before. You're just uh, pack it all away and then no more. Yeah. Um, you're working with two great defensive-minded coaches in Andrew McBride and Pat Coyle. How much have they meant to your growth so far? They've been uh, just perfect in uh, yeah. guiding me and just – Little things, uh, footwork things, how how to think about uh, approaching. They really have uh, helped me a lot and given me the shot to be productive on the floor. Yeah, how tough was it the first few games to have to sit out? Because, you know, a lot of rookies have to go through that. What was the experience like for you uh, to be able to sit and watch a few games before you got the tap? Honestly, I think it was the best thing for me, being able to experience the speed in practice, um, then visually see the difference in the game, uh, and then just getting used uh, to the NOL game itself because you have media timeouts, you have uh, last-minute defenses that go in. So it it was good to sit there and learn and then gradually uh, earn my spot. Yeah. You've earned it, and you've been a bit of a regular guy the past three or four games. How much more comfortable have you gotten in that defense now that you've been kind of in more often? Uh, I think it's night and day. Uh, if you look at the first two games, considered uh, to be the last three I've played, yeah. um, I, I feel the flow of the game. I feel the flow of our defense, the communication, um, when to slide, reading the ball and where it's going to be. Yeah, those are – those are things that don't often come easy for rookies, especially in high-tempo defenses like Colorado. Uh, who's been sort of a guy that you've leaned on to help you with? Oh, that Capito, Hopi, uh, Carnegie, Coetzee. Like, I, I have world-class defensemen all around me. Yeah. And even Dylan Ward and that, the best goalie in the game. Like, I am very fortunate to have these guys and help them uh, guide me. Big game this weekend against Rochester. Uh, the return of Ryan Benesh to the Loud House. You going to give him a few chops? If he has the ball, he will get some. <laughs> Do you think he's not going to have the ball? Nah, he'll he'll get it. It's, <laughs> it's a flow offense. It's a flow offense. But um, we're not going to focus on him. We're focusing yeah. on winning the game as a team. Yeah, that's a very good point, Mr. Jules. Uh, a couple weekends ago, you ran into or were run into Matt Beers. Um, is that the biggest hit you've ever taken? Oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> Do you remember the it? Couple times. Oh yeah, remember the whole thing. I <laughs> should have saw him coming earlier. I saw him at the last second, thank God. 
Yeah. But uh, that's on me for turning around and opening myself up to a hit. Did Did Deep apologize to you at all? Yeah. That's it's, a nice goaltender thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> not all on Deep. No, it is not all on Deep. Um, you guys have Rochester this weekend. What's the message from head coach Pat Coyle going into a game where, you know, you guys continue to control your own destiny for the playoffs? Uh, we want to punch our ticket on our own. We don't want to yeah. see uh, us get in by someone else losing. And we just got to play within ourselves and do what we know we can do. Jules, you're having a lot of fun in, in the National Cross League this year. It's good to see. Um, I, I'm glad we got the chance to talk. You've been one of my favorite rookies on the club this year. But this is a good rookie group that you guys have within this uh, roster, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Kyle Killens, uh, he's going to be one of the best goal scorers in the league very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff Wittig is one of those guys who is a spark plug. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Jules, uh, always a pleasure, my buddy. Uh, we'll catch up this weekend. Thanks for the chat. Have some fun and uh, enjoy live from the Masters. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Teddy. There he is. That's Julian Garitano of the Colorado Mammoth, the former Ironheads Junior B lacrosse player, former Sacred Heart Pioneer. And I was kind of joking about the whole Bill O'Brien thing. I just kind of wanted to see if, if there was much lore of Bill O'Brien in that football program. But Julian Garitano, a great young defender in the National Lacrosse League, starting to make a name for himself. Uh, does a great job within Pat Coyle and Andrew McBride's system, and uh, it's taken him a bit to get into the lineup. But now that he's there, it's been pretty hard for them to take him out just because he's played a very steady game. He doesn't try to do anything fancy. doesn't try to do anything outside of his wheelhouse. He just plays some steady Eddie lacrosse, and it was awesome to see him get that first goal. I kind of... Joked with him a bit afterwards and said, hey, you know what? If Keenan would have had a challenge flag, it probably would have been called back. He goes, yep, I know, but he didn't. <laughs> and it was just that that's just the kind of way Jules is. He's pretty humble, pretty quiet. Um, like I said, just kind of a steady, eddy, straightforward guy. I'd appreciate chatting up with him. And um, yeah, I'd like to see Roy McElroy win it. But I, th- I think it's going to be Fowler's time. Maybe we should ask Pat Gregoire, who he thinks is going to win the Masters this weekend. Down from Augusta, Georgia. I wonder if there's going to be any Georgia Swarm players kicking around down south this weekend uh, trying to get themselves into the Masters. Maybe they can, you know, get a little closer look. Although they are on the road in Calgary, so I highly doubt it. Uh, Games this weekend, New England at Toronto, Rochester at Colorado, a win, and the Mammoth are in. Uh, Georgia at Calgary, Saskatchewan at San Diego, and then Saskatchewan has to get on a plane either right after that game or first thing the next morning. Bomb home to Saskatoon to take on Philadelphia, and then Philadelphia has to go from Saskatoon on Saturday to Vancouver on Sunday to take on the Warriors. And if somehow the Mammoth fall to Rochester, there's still a chance they can get that playoff berth if the Wings do them a favor and knock off Vancouver on Sunday. So those are your... Six Nash Lacrosse League games, four on Friday, one Saturday, one Sunday. As always, you can catch everything on BR Live. And if your team has a local cable deal, then you can see it there too. Uh, speaking of Pat Gregoire, let's have a chat. Every week, we take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. 
Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke Game Pack. The tune of tunes, a chat with Smokey Pat once again here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Mr. Gregoire, how are you? Doing great. We're in double digits here in Ontario, so there is a smile on my face. Yep, yep, went for a run this morning. A little bit of rain, but uh, that was kind of refreshing. But uh, no, it's it's starting to heat up here, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Did you get that beautiful smell of warm rain on concrete? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that like the best smell in the world? It's 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 up it's a smell, that's for sure. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, my two favorite smells are that and glove hands. Ooh, glove hands, yeah, that's that's the best. Uh, you you know, when you you're a coach and kids come over and they're being great, they're being nice, they shake your hand and say, Coach, thank you so much for the opportunity and you're like, Yeah, no problem then after you realize, oh, great, now I'm going to have to go scrub my hand for five minutes to get the, the smell of sweaty hand off mine. No, I really do enjoy that smell. You're, no, you, that's the difference. So you enjoy your own, but you don't enjoy other people's Ah, smell. fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, that's exactly. exactly. Everyone, likes their, everyone likes their own brand. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, fat bastard. <laughs> um, do you know the secret to removing glove hands? Uh, shaving cream? Yeah, you're a smart man, Pat Gregoire, despite what Julian Garitano told us earlier. You're a pretty Oh, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Um, Obviously, uh, Julian and you are Ironhead brothers uh, working together. Uh, You coached him. uh, You played with him. Um, The Ironhead's Junior B program is one that is up and coming. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I mean, that's, that's, you know, hearing things like that, obviously – uh, makes us happy and you know we're we're kind of an organization that has to kind of start behind the eight ball and we have started behind the eight ball because you know you look especially in our league uh, you, you look at some of the top programs um, you know most notably in our division the Green Gales um, mm-hmm. you know they pull from you know such great minor organizations and it's such a vast uh you know lacrosse community whether it be from you know whitby minor oshawa minor uh clarington is an up-and-coming young program and even guys from peterborough make their way over to clarington and and for us uh, it's west durham so that's ajax and pickering just you know 20 minutes outside of toronto and now we're starting to draw some kids in from the beaches program which is another up-and-coming program but uh you know what the success on the floor isn't there. It's not what we want to. We want to be more successful in the standings. Uh, we're still looking for that elusive first playoff victory. Uh, but at the end of the day, as we were talking the other day, we're, we're now at least, you know, developing individuals. And we have guys to go on to play junior A. Guys go down to the States, uh, get scholarships. And, and ultimately, a guy like Julian Garitano, who was a homegrown Markham, Ironhead, uh, he's now playing at the highest level, and to see that as not just a guy that's played with him, but who also coached him, uh, it's pretty special to see. You guys have put nearly ten guys through your program into the National Cross League. That's got to be a pretty big selling point for you guys. Yeah, you know what? It, it really is, and I, I think a big part of that. And we're not going to take all the credit. Uh, these guys are, are tremendous lacrosse players, and uh, they come in here, and, and we kind of just. 
give them an opportunity. And, you know, they, the lot, some of the guys over the past few years, like a, a Mike Byrne, uh, he just wanted to give lacrosse a go. He, he played field lacrosse for St. Mike's in high school and a little bit with the Beaches U19 program, but he hadn't played box uh, in, in quite some time. And, and we saw the potential in him. We took him, uh, played with us for a year, uh, went up to play with the Beaches as well. Uh, and then now he's another guy that's found himself on an NLL roster. And, and that's something that obviously we are, are preaching that it, it's, you know, we're, we're not just trying to develop, you know, is, you know, wins on the floor. We're trying to develop better lacrosse players, uh, not just for our team, but for the Beaches Junior A team, which we're affiliated with. And then, of course, at the next level, too. Uh, and, and I think that the wins will come, and I think recruiting will come easier. Obviously, like I said, we're kind of behind the eight ball, uh, but everything's kind of coming into place, and I think this year uh, could be a big year for us. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, but I was tampering with Jim Beltman trying to get Chris to come out west. <laughs> that's that's not cool, man. That's not cool. <laughs> uh, uh, week 17, I think, in the National Cross East coming on. Um, yeah. As we get closer and closer to the NLL playoffs, every single one of these weekends uh, becomes that much more important, and we can see teams climb and we can see teams fall and while San Diego didn't exactly fall those two losses to Georgia and New England could be costly down the stretch it certainly can be be costly and you know I I think with the season that they had I think I even might maybe had mentioned it um last week that we hadn't really seen them go through a rut so I guess you could take it kind of as, as a good point. Obviously, you want to, you know, go through your your adversity near the start of the year, but at least they're going through some adversity because there was times where I kind of was thinking to myself, when is this team uh, going to go through a rough patch? Because I want to see how they bounce back. Obviously, they've got the veterans on that team uh, to allow themselves to work ways out and you know the coaching staff have been through their fair share of rough patches and have turned things around and done great things but there's a lot of young guys on that team as well and it would be interesting to see what they're going to be able to do going forward if they can allow this little bit of a you know just a two-game skid are they going to put this in their back pocket and forget about it or are they going to allow this to kind of creep in their mind and think like you said oh boy hopefully these don't you know bite us in the butt uh, down the stretch here and, and cause us, you know, f- that first seed or, you know, potentially even, uh, you know, home four advantage. That's got to be one of the toughest travel weekends any team has to face. Oh, now, yeah. Obviously, you know, not everybody is based in San Diego, so the travel isn't as far for everybody. But to have to go from San Diego to Georgia, play a game, lose two of your top forwards, and then travel up the coast and go to New England, and battle that team. It's not an easy weekend, and they really, really did miss Buchanan, and they missed Audie Stott. They certainly did, and those two guys, not only are they guys that put the ball in the back of the net and, you know, drive the offense, those are two guys, especially Buchanan, that do the nitty and gritty things. Uh, Buchanan, in my personal opinion, he's the best in the game at getting offensive boards. Uh, sometimes it just looks like the ball comes to the guy, but that just shows you that he's putting himself uh, in the right places. Uh, he, he's diving in for loose balls. Uh, he, he's a guy that he'll tell you he's not the biggest guy, but he plays much bigger than his game. And, and Audie Stoss as well. 
I mean, you look at him, and he's a superstar, but he does the little things too. He sets hard picks. He goes hard to the net. He's always going in for loose balls. He's a guy that will go back and get rid of transition opportunities. He'll stay on defense if he has to. Uh, Most of the times if he's getting back, he's just trying to eliminate that fast break. Uh, But those are two heart and soul guys. And when you lose them, obviously you're going to miss the goals. But I think what they really, really missed was the little uh, small detail things that both those guys do night in and night out. And if they don't get them back, for the game this weekend against Saskatchewan, they could lose their grasp on first place. Is that a mental thing for this group? Like they've been in first for so long, and then at the end of the season, they lose that grasp. Now they don't have home for throughout the West Finals. Could that be a deterrent for this group? You know what? I, I think that obviously from the outside looking in, you could easily say, oh boy, what a collapse. But I think these guys are telling themselves, uh, you know what? We're now going through adversity, and it's like I said, how do we get ourselves out of it? In, instead of worrying about, oh, are we going to be able to do it without our two, two of our best forwards, they're saying to themselves, all right, we got to step up. we got to play for these guys. We can't let uh, two guys dictate the way that our season is going to end here. Uh, their defenses, maybe they'll have to pick up their socks. Maybe they're the ones that are going to have to step up, play a better defensive game. Frank Giuliano's maybe going to have to make a couple of extra saves. Uh, I don't think you can say it's mental, uh, especially if those two guys are out because those are such massive, massive loss. But at the end of the day, uh, you know know people are going to say it's a collapse. uh, But at the end of the day, too, those people who probably said it, and there's a lot of them, they're the ones that probably also thought that they were going to be a, a bottom two team in the league. So I think at the start of the year, if you told the Seals, listen, you're going to finish in second in the West, you're going to barely miss out on first, and, and there's a good chance that you're a top contending team, I think they sign off on that 100%. Absolutely. Uh, let's switch gears to the NLL East division. Uh, the Georgia Swarm are a wagon. They have won five of their last five games, eight of their last ten. Uh, with that win over or with that win over San Diego, they passed Buffalo in the standings, even though they have the same record. Uh, is this Georgia team starting to heat up at the right time? They they are, and they were doing this last year too. But I think they look even more impressive, and they're heating up. I think they started to heat up maybe just a little bit before, so it allowed them to really climb back up into the standings. Uh, the way that they're playing, though, it, it is it is so impressive and. Obviously, it's not just the dynamic offense, uh, the chemistry that we're seeing between Stotts and Thompson. Uh, For me, it's really impressive to see what this defense Mike Poulin's been able to do. Uh, The defense is playing mean. They're playing fast. Uh, Poulin's playing some of the best ball that we've seen him play in his career, and that's saying a lot because he's had a very successful career. This is a guy who's been a goaltender of the year. Uh, for him to step his game up even more, it speaks volumes to how good of a, of a season he is having. Uh, but I think it also speaks a lot of volumes to this young defensive unit that, that is just buying into this system and playing uh, and allowing Poulin to be so successful, giving him those shots uh, that he wants to see. Now, this might be a unfair question to the two teams I'm going to relate it to, but do Toronto and New England have a chance against Buffalo and Georgia? Oh, boy. I mean, 
with the way that that the format is you know works in the National Lacrosse League where it's you know you're not looking at a long grueling series I, I think you have to say there's a chance uh, what we've seen the Toronto Rock been able to play of course uh, they're they're a little bit of a sh- of the shell of themselves um, from what we saw at the start of the year and with New England New England you really don't know which Black Wolves team you're getting mm-hmm. uh, but with that being said it's it's one game. Uh, anything can happen. Both teams ha- have tremendous goaltending. Uh, but if I'm I'm a betting man, which I am, I'm not very uh, a good one. As <laughs> you could check my account after March Madness, and that's proof. Um, I would go with Georgia, though. They're they're just far too well rounded. They've been so consistent, uh, and, and I mean. I'm just not betting against that one-two punch that they have going right now with Stotts and Lyle Thompson. They have been just absolutely disgusting all year, uh, but it seems like they're they're just stepping their game up uh, even to a next level. And you know, once the postseason comes, they're just going to kick it in that next gear as well. Patty, always a pleasure. Uh, who do you got in the Masters this weekend? Oh, I just told you I'm no good <laughs> at gambling, but this isn't a gambling question, Patrick. This is just a straight up who you got. Who 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 do you have? You mean? No, sorry. Um, who do you have? Yes, my apologies. Who do you have? Yes, 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 yes. Let's not open that can of worms. No. Nope. Who uh, do to you be, have? To be, who do I have? If if I had to go with one, just throwing it out here, I, I'm. I don't think it's Tiger's time. He's Thank not you. back yet. He's not back yet. Let's not let's not get crazy. But I, I'm going to say I think we'll see. Ah, this is tough. We'll say DJ. I think DJ gets it done here. I think DJ gets it done here. That's not bad, buddy. That's not bad. Um, I'm going to yeah. hold you to that, and I'll put uh, $100 down on it under your name. So uh, <laughs> your Well, who do you got? Oh, sorry, uh, who do you have? Uh, I'm going to go uh, Ricky Fowler. Nice. That was. I was thinking that, too. Oh, I should have went with that. That's, yeah, but you can't. I like that, too. No, I can't. In. You're right. Locked You're right. In. Locked in. in. All right. <laughs> Enjoy the games, buddy. Good chat, and we'll uh, talk next week. Thanks for having me, as always, buddy. There he is, Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter, at P. Greggy. Always got great stuff. You can also find him doing some stuff for The Flash. He is quite good at clipping GIFs. Um, I still have no idea how he does it, but apparently he's pretty good at it, um, and he's uh, clipped some pretty good stuff for the NLL Flash. And he's apparently, according to Julian, a pretty good lacrosse coach. So uh, thanks to Pat. Hopefully our Ironheads and Junior Shamrocks can meet in the Founders this year. So better get those boys to work. You heard me kind of mention off the top. um, A little birdie got let out of the bag by the Philadelphia Wings. Um, Intentionally, unintentionally, I'm not really sure, but... Um, overall, it was a bit of a mistake made. And what happened was is the Wings decided to let all their season ticket holders know that they could purchase tickets for the 2019-2020 season since uh, their home games are done for this year. So they kind of want to get ahead of that to try to build some business going into the offseason, which most teams will do. Unfortunately, within that email... It said that the 2019-2020 season would feature three divisions. Much like we've talked about on this show before, it's a a logical move 
for the NLL to do this as they bring in uh, the new Rochester team. Rochester moves to Halifax, and of course, Long Island comes into play. So now we go from 11 to 13, so it'd be a very unbalanced league. So the three divisions was a natural move. Now, in that email, it said that the West would stay the same, and then you would have Halifax, Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester in one group, and then New England, Philadelphia, New York, Georgia in the other. And I'm okay with that. I wouldn't have mind to see uh, Philadelphia go with Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto, and keep Halifax, New England, New York, Georgia in a group because, you know, keep them all along the Atlantic coast um, might be easier travel. I'm not too sure um, how the traveling works through some of those markets, but I just thought relative to geographical wise that made more sense regardless. Well, shortly after that email was sent out, Austin Owens, who writes for The Flash, kind of broke the news. Um, And then that news was quickly rebuked by the National Lacrosse League the next day, who said that while talks are ongoing about divisional alignment, the Board of Governors have yet to vote on that alignment process. Now, we can all pretty much safely say that next year there will be three divisions. The divisions that the Philadelphia group suggested and hinted at are probably going to be the groups but until it's actually voted on by the BOG that news can't be released yet so uh Philadelphia did kind of jump the gun a little bit but it wouldn't be that far off to say that they were right and that that news will come out most likely after the season is over. I believe the Board of Governors will have their summer meetings in June, which is when this will be voted on. So jumping the gun, yes, but we can all now look forward to three divisions for 2019-2020, unless by some chance another team gets added into the expansion fold, uh, which I don't see happening. But um, something to look forward to during the offseason. Obviously, expansion will heat up, but uh, some new divisions. And then with three divisions, now we have to start trying to decide how playoffs will work. And you obviously have a couple of options. You can take the number one seed from each division and then take the next five best teams. That's kind of tough to do. Um, you can take the top two in each division and just have a six-team format, that's kind of tough to do. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how this plays out because the West is still going to have more teams. The West will have five. The other two Eastern divisions will have four. So this is, you know, cart before the horse, but it'll be very interesting to see how it rolls out, how it plays out, and how the league decides to do the playoff format moving forward. So we have that to look forward to. Um, But other news from this weekend, uh, Trevor Baptiste broke the rookie record for face-off wins in a season. And the pride of the University of Denver is not far off from taking the overall face-off wins in a season record from Jay Thornbear. Uh, who set that mark, I believe, in 2015 with 338. 
Uh, now, Trevor is around 280, I think, give or take. Um, but he's averaging 19 faceoff wins per game. And if he keeps that up over their next three games, he will indeed surpass Jay Thornbear for the most faceoff wins in a regular season. And that would be an incredible feat for him to accomplish the rookie mark and the overall mark in one go. And I know that Adam Levy is going to be speaking with Trevor Baptiste about uh, his rookie season. So you can check out that article on NLL.com coming up. But um, what a fantastic first year for Trevor Baptiste. Uh, I have a feeling that playing in the CBLL in Colorado a couple years ago really helped him find his knack of taking faceoffs in the indoor game because it is a bit different than field across faceoffs. Mostly, um, you know, in field you have four guys running in off the wings. In box across, guys are coming from the opposite side. So you have more space to pop that ball out to yourself, fight for loose balls on your own. So um, Trevor Baptiste has really found himself a nice role. Uh, he's still looking for that first ever National Cross League goal, though. And uh, while he continues to battle, it's, he's had some opportunities. I believe he's got eight. Nope. He's got uh, 13 shots on target. Hasn't put one behind a goaltender yet, but it's coming. The more confident he gets popping it to himself and starting the transition break, the more opportunity he, he'll have. And I think he should probably watch some Jeff Snyder highlight tapes on how to take the rock to the net and celebrate just like it was the biggest goal ever scored because that's pretty much what Snides did all the time. And Snyder was a huge Philly fan favorite. And I think if Trevor added a little bit of a scoring touch, uh, he'd go a long way in becoming a fan favorite in Philadelphia as well. So congratulations to the Beast uh, on breaking the rookie mark. And we'll keep our eyes on the stats to see if he can surpass Jay Thornbear in the Wings' final three games. Now, to our main guest of the week. Um, he really needs no introduction, but let's give him one anyways. Uh, he is the National Lacrosse League's all-time leader in loose balls. He's the Toronto Rock franchise leader in loose balls. He is one of the greatest transition players the sport has ever seen. Also, one of the greatest humans the sport has ever seen. A very humble, down-to-earth gentleman uh, and a guy who will finally get his number retired and hung to the rafters in Toronto. Jim Veltman, the man they call Scoop, uh, is a Hall of Famer. He is a legend. He's won multiple national titles for Team Canada. He's won, sorry, I guess those are international titles. He's won national championships um, in the CLA with Man Cups. He's won multiple NLL titles, and he will finally join Colin Doyle and Bob Watson in the rafters in Toronto. I caught up with Jim on a break from teaching the youth, and please enjoy our chat. Joined now by legend, Hall of Famer, and soon-to-be retired number 32, Jim Scoop Feltman. Jimmy, how are you, my man? I'm doing well, Teddy. Doing well. How are things there? Uh, things are fantastic on the island. Obviously, a very special night for you and your family. Um, how excited are you for Friday night? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I got the call from Jamie a few weeks ago, and uh, when I saw his name show up on my phone, I, I had an idea that it might be something like this, and uh, when I heard it was, and 
yeah, I said, you know what? I'm just thrilled. This is uh, this is awesome. It's going to be fun. Um, anytime you get a chance to relive those kind of memories, you know, it's it's a lot of fun for everybody. I think. You didn't think he was calling to ask you to play again? I was hoping. I said, hey, you need someone on <laughs> the top of the man down or something. <laughs> oh come on! You're top of the power play. That overhead. Well, play, yeah, that cool. used to. Yeah, yeah, but my shot, yeah, kind of dwindled near the end of my career. <laughs> Um, obviously, uh, you mentioned a very special moment. Uh, the call from Jamie was one that was a bit of a long time coming, but um, how cool would it be to see your number alongside Popeye and Whip? Yeah, no, that's pretty special. It's a pretty special company to be part of. Um, not to mention the coaches. You know, Les Bailey was a big part of my life. He was mm-hmm. uh, a mentor of mine. He was my first coach in Buffalo when I started there. Um you know, it just and and then when I moved over to the Ontario Raiders and then Toronto, we had a lot of success together. Uh, Terry, I didn't know as well. I only had him for a couple of years, but uh, also two very impactful people. Um, you know, as uh, as is shown by all the coaches in the league that were mm-hmm. kind of mentored by these guys. Yeah, that was going to be my my next point of how much of a role did he play on your development as a player, as a coach, much like so many of these current NLL coaches? Yeah, you know what? I mean, Les especially, he was, uh, I, I played 16 years and he was my coach for 11 of them. Um, I have to tell people though, like at the beginning, I was wondering, who is this guy? He was from St. Catharines. I was from Brampton. We were almost like worlds apart. I'd never heard of him, even though the lacrosse circles are pretty small. Wow. And, um, you know, at the beginning, he was he was okay. He wasn't actually a very good coach. A lot of the players he had were so good. Like, we had Keenan, Tavares, Cordingly, Kilgore. You know, a lot of people said, oh, anybody can coach his team, which which they might be right. But what I, what I admired most about Les is he became a student of the game. Like, he mm-hmm. – and then he passed that knowledge on, and then he challenged you to – to become a better player just in what you did and some of the small habits and routines that you had. And then he, you know, he'd introduce video and get you to watch yourself and mental imagery and nutrition and, you know, and just, you know, team cooperation games before the season started. So, you know, you're a real tight knit group before you even begin the season, like little things like that. I really appreciate yeah. about him. And, and over time he became, you know, a great coach and, you know, the coach's award is, is aptly named after him uh, for the league because he was that kind of person. Obviously, the Buffalo Bandits have been a long mainstay in the National Lacrosse League pretty much since day one. Um, what do you remember about playing in that old odd, sold out, the rickety old building as loud as possibly can be and, and some of those rivalries you had with Philadelphia? Yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. I don't know if a lot of people watch those old games, but... Uh, Sometimes on Facebook or somewhere you can you can find them on YouTube and mm-hmm. you know I, I watched a couple of them actually just recently just to kind of get my mind ready for Friday and everything that I've, I've gone through and and you know it was rough like yeah. <laughs> they they allowed just about anything like it was crazy and 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 it's almost like the owners of the time Russ Klein and Chris Fritz they're you know they just wanted entertainment value and and mm-hmm. people kind of came to the arena for that for for kind of controlled chaotic violence that was part of the game and and uh it was it was survival like it was kind of a weird time to be living and they've cleaned a lot of the rules up which i think is good for the safety of the players but back then it was kind of a free-for-all and yeah uh, you kind of didn't know on, 
on you know on a game to game basis what the referees were going to call, what they were going to let go, and uh, sometimes it could get pretty crazy out there. That's 27 years ago since that 92 Buffalo team. Um, the game has obviously changed a ton since then. Are you happy with where the sport of lacrosse is right now? I am. I, I really am. I mean, uh, it seems like they've taken, like I said, a lot of that violent part of the game out of it, and they're starting to focus more on the skill part. Um, the part I miss, actually, about that game was that it, it just seemed more creative. Like, there were more opportunities in transition. And I, I, I find the game today is a little bit more robotic. Everybody's playing the same way. And you're just seeing who's going to win in the end. Um, although, you know, you, you have some pretty spectacular plays today. I, I find the players now are just so much, I don't know if it, like it's talented or they come with a lot more talent. They come yeah. with a lot more strength and speed. And, and I think, you know, back in the day, it was more characters that were brought to your team. You know, you had the, the rough and tough guy and then you had the, the skill guy and you, and you both had to play both ends. Like, you had yeah, to play defense yeah. and offense. You had to figure it out. It wasn't like, oh, I don't have to worry about half the floor. Um, you did. You did have to worry about half the floor, or you'd embarrass yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, after those few years in Buffalo, uh, you really stepped away from the game of lacrosse. You and your wife um, went to Africa and did some humanitarian work in Uganda. How special was that? moment in your life just to get away from you know north america and first world problems and and go away to a a culture that you'd never really seen before uh it was life-changing to be honest it was um and it wasn't so much i was trying to get away from lacrosse it was more from the the teaching aspect like i was the first i taught for three years it was very kind of crazy time in our life we were we were newly married my wife was also a teacher so we were both living like really busy lives, um, getting all our lesson plans and all our classes in order and taking care of kids. And it's a, it's a busy lifestyle. And, and um, for the first couple of years of our marriage, like we'd almost, you know, come home from different schools and come home, have dinner, and then go to our separate offices and get ready for the next day. And we kind of lived like that for two years. And then we looked at each other and said, what, what are we doing? Is this what it's all about? And we kind of said, what if we just, do something different. What if we just yeah. leave, leave the profession for a year and just volunteer? And and we actually ended up in Vancouver in downtown East Side for half a year wow. um, before we went to Uganda. So those two experiences, like um, you know, working with the people, uh, homeless people in downtown East Side, and then going over to Uganda, like those two experiences changed our lives. And um, you know, we live by some of the principles that we we had learn from from people there and we still live that way um but of course you know i also had the lacrosse bug in me and i (laughs) wanted to get back to playing as soon as possible so i was fortunate to missed only one season and then the season coming back uh it was kind of a weird time because there's kind of like a fight for my rights it was almost like buffalo was saying don't worry we can't wait to get back you're still our property and then all of a sudden i got a a fax in the village of uganda <laughs> that said you know from john meridian that said yeah. hey guess what we're gonna we're gonna pick you first in the expansion draft and and then marty cooper on the buffalo side said no you know we're you're still our property so when i came home i had no idea i didn't know what to expect yeah um, um the, the toronto rock ontario raiders experiment experiment early on uh didn't quite work in hamilton but um 
the Waters group taking over was a huge stepping stone for that franchise. Yeah, it was. It was, um, you know, the Hamilton experiment was was just that. It wasn't, you know, it was a good team, but we only drew about 4,500 on average. And then Toronto, you know, you're actually before the Waters group bought it, we kind of knew in Hamilton that our time was up. You know, it's a, it's a pretty nervous time for players, especially when you got lives outside of lacrosse that you're wondering about. Like, okay, well, if they move to where, where are they going to go? In the States or are they going to go on Canada's side? Where are they going to move to? And then, you know, when we heard it was Toronto and it was the Waters group, a uh, pretty solid group of uh, individuals there, and that my wife and I had just moved to Toronto uh, coming back from Uganda. So that was a pretty exciting time for for my family, but also for, you know, Toronto itself and the way the the crowd and the fans just gravitated towards Maple Leaf Gardens. It's just unbelievable. It's like a storybook kind of kind of uh, story for us. Yeah, the, the 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 lifespan of The Rock in Maple Leaf Gardens was historic because you guys won so many championships there. You won the last championship in the ACC. I remember watching that game against Rochester on TV, you know, John Grant Jr. and Stroopy going back and forth goal for goal in that fourth quarter. And then, you know, of course, the big stays by Whip near the end. What do you remember of, about those championship games in, in the old lady? Yeah, it was, you know, um, maybe a lot of people don't know, but Maple Leaf Gardens is almost like, you know, MSG. It's almost like Madison Square Garden of the States. It's just so historical. And like, just walking through the hallways and it wasn't that it was nice and clean like the ACC is now or Scotiabank Center, I guess. Um, but you know, you had concrete walls. It was just history. They had pictures of the old hockey players and, and even our dressing room was really, it was just a concrete room. It wasn't anything special. Whereas the, um, Scotiabank Center now is, you know, it's a little bit more nice and, uh, for players, you have your own stall and things like that. But Maple Leaf Gardens, you're coming out of a concrete room and onto a field where there's like over 15,000 people just, you know, cheering you on. And and it was it reminded me a lot of the Buffalo Auditorium where the seats yeah. were more on top of you, um, so the noise was on top of you, and it was deafening at times. And then, you know, to to actually win championships there, we beat Rochester, I believe, the first year, 13-8. That was a that was a big championship year for us because it was our first, so that yeah. was pretty special. And then the following year with Caleb Toss, last second goal. <laughs> yeah. Extra, there was no better way to close that building than than that. And then the year after we moved to uh, the Air Canada Center, it was called. Yeah. Um, who was the most underrated player from those teams back in the day, do you think? Um, you know what? Underrated, I would say someone like uh, a Terry Bowen. That was the guy Coyle. I was hoping you were going to say. You know, like like those guys, they brought so much more than just the game itself. You know, like they they brought character. They brought um, just a, an attitude to win um, that I think was, you know, conducive to everybody that wanted to win. But we were kind of newbies, and a lot of us were new at it. Um, but they had won before, and they just brought that level of calm that you need as a, you know, to become a veteran team in, in some of these pressure situations. You guys moved to the ACC, now Scotia Bank, but you guys continue the championship run. Uh, I want to go kind of forward to that last one that Les wasn't there for. Um, how strange was that season? Uh, yeah, it was, it was really strange to be honest. It was, um, 
you know, Terry was the head coach, and, and he really has his way, and he, he's good at it. Uh, and he got us going, and John Lovell, he brought John Lovell in as well. And But you always felt like, because there were a lot of us still in the room, that you always felt like Les's presence was there, mm-hmm. uh, even though he wasn't there physically. Um, and then near the end of, of his life, actually in the last few months, uh, his family invited me to come in to some lot of the private time that they had with Les, and you know, and, and they allowed me to to be part of that and to visit Les with them, and, um, and that was pretty extra special. And and then of course, uh, him dying, you know, the next day right after we had won the championship, um, and I knew that he was, you know, in a hospital bed in in his own house. They had brought a hospital bed to his house to watch the game and to be a bit more comfortable in his last days and actually my wife and I instead of celebrating the next day which you usually do with the team and mm-hmm. people have all kinds of different places to go we, we drove uh, to St. Catharines to uh, to see less and uh, you know it wasn't actually until we got there that we found out he had, he had actually passed a oh, few wow. hours before we got there so um, you know again it was one of those moments that you'll never forget um, of course Everybody knew, like, you know, he was dying and he was going to die, but just that he held on. He held on until we had won that championship, and it meant a lot. It meant a lot to um, to the different players in that team. Um, so, yeah, that was that was an extra special moment for me and for a lot of players, I'm sure. Uh, let, let's take a, a step away from the NLL and, uh, a little bit. I, I, I got a very personal question I've been dying to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. What's more special? the 2003 Man Cup in Victoria or that night in Toronto where I almost broke your neck opening the gate by accident? <laughs> That's the story. That, that, that'll connect us forever, won't it? Oh, yeah. That story. <laughs> I didn't even know. I probably didn't even know it was you until no, later. You did. Like, I you think did. I, I'd watch the video later and I said, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, you know, you must right? have been a healthy, yeah. you must have been a healthy scratch or you were, anyways, you were healthy enough to to be the door guy and yeah i think i've discovered later that oh wait a minute that's that's not just some ordinary guy like a equipment <laughs> manager or anything like that and yeah i remember i think i was going for loose ball or something yeah, off, after a face off, off or something yeah, like that drop, and then ball came scooting out i got hit in towards you know and i don't think you got the door closed enough and now exactly. it's all kind of through and i think i put my fist into your chest real quick you did. and you kept going or something <laughs> yeah um, that it was like, three, hang on to the door. Yeah, that 03 Man Cup, though, uh, we were talking before we started recording about um, the enjoyment you and your family had out west on the island that summer and, and the 03 Man Cup where, you beat, where we beat Brampton in, in five games. Uh, that had to been a, a pretty cool moment to win a championship out west. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I did play in Coquitlam for three summers right. and I was unable to win a championship. Came close. Uh, went to the Man Cup in '88 um, up against the Brooklyn All-Star team that there's no way we were going to beat. We actually lost in six, and then the following years uh, didn't make it through the WLA finals. Um, but yeah, that Victoria year, it was such a good team. Like they had assembled such good players, and it was it was really amazing to play with those players because you hear their names, and a lot of them I didn't play with, and they were playing maybe for you know the West NLL teams. Um, and it was just neat to play on their team and see how they approached the game. Uh, that, that was a lot of fun, and, and they treated our family so well when we were there. I had two kids in tow. Um, they were young. They were little kids, and, you know, they just treated us with open arms. And 
um, it was so much fun. And actually, 2003 was probably one of my most successful years because uh, we had won a world championship, a man cup, and an NL championship. And right. I had never done that before, so that was uh, that was an extra special year for me. And and to do it in such a beautiful place like Victoria, whose fans are so passionate, and it's just amazing, you know, to watch and to be part of. And um, I guess in the summer league, it wasn't that passionate anywhere else. I know it is Peterborough now, but it wasn't back then. Um, Victoria really was the only place where, you know, fans still flocked to go to the arenas for the summer summer games. So that was extra special, too, to be part of that. So how hard do I got to convince Chris to come out here for a summer? <laughs> yeah, he's not quite ready. He's only, uh, he's only 20 years old. He's still got to mature a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, he uh, he's trying his best right now to to make his way through the lacrosse world, and it's not it's not easy. It hasn't been easy for him, yeah. but yeah, uh, he's doing his best. But yeah, no, I, I would encourage him if anything to to try a season out west because there's nothing like it. Absolutely. Um, the game of lacrosse has taken you all over the world, uh, and are you still coaching? Is the bug still there? Uh, I I like it. I I enjoy the coaching. Um, the NLL coaching gig is, is not an easy gig. I mean, I tried it for two years. Um, it's every weekend, and it's a grind. I mean, especially if you're working full-time, which I am now again, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Friday, sometimes Thursday night comes along, and you got to go, and then you're not back till Sunday, maybe Monday morning, and then you're back full-time work again. Like, it, it's a grind. It's, it's not easy. I have a lot of respect for people that do it. Um, for me, I, I needed time just to step away and to focus on family again. And my kids are teenagers, and uh, if you've ever brought up a teenager, it's not always easy, but it's time to focus on them a bit, and focus on my wife and the rest of my family. Um, and then if coaching down the road, I'll do that again. I really enjoyed my international experience with the Czech Republic. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I feel like I've taught them almost everything I know, so... I did tell them after the last world championships, you know, like I totally understand you want to go in a different direction and, and bring in somebody new with some fresh ideas. I totally, I, I would encourage it. I said, um, I don't need to hold on to positions just for the sake of holding on to position. Yeah. I, I think uh, this game is too much. There's too much involved in this game to just be one person who, you know, has all the information. I think there's more, more information to be had out there by a lot of smart people. When did you realize that you had a unnatural, natural ability at finding loose balls? Um, probably, probably in junior. Uh, we weren't a very good team in Brampton in junior. We, we were one of those teams that would make the eighth seed kind of and play the first seed, which was Whippy Warriors, Joe Newland, Gary Roberts. We get put out in four games, yeah. so we, we weren't a very strong team. So I had to figure out different ways of contributing to the game um actually i wasn't very good defensively i was terrible um but you know i i could i could score i could pass and then i discovered this you know part of the game that i I didn't even think about and uh, i'm kind of sometimes i pride myself in being one of those people that tries to think about the game like how exactly is it played and what what are different roles that people can play and some people only see maybe the passing catching and you know, the goal scoring and goal preventing. But 
there's this part of the game that's a loose ball game. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, when the ball's loose, it's very important to gain possession again. And, and so I started studying, you know, like I'd go and watch people and say, okay, how did they do it? And what are they doing when they're behind the person or when they're beside the person or when they're the person in front? You know, how do you get the loose ball and make sure you're the one who gets it and your team keeps it? So I think it was in junior when I finally yeah. figured that out. Uh, 2,517 career loose balls. I didn't think it would ever be touched, but somehow Brody Merrill is close. Um, how special has Brody Merrill become as a lacrosse player over his years? Well, I mean, it, you know, his longevity speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I know he was touted at one time as one of the best players in the world, and he deserves all that respect. Um, you know, and, and loose ball is a big part of it. And actually, it was funny because we were coaching against him when I was in New England and you know we were we were in Toronto one game and I remember talking to Clarkie like why are we losing all these face-offs and then you know we'd we'd watch closer and it was always Brody it was like are you kidding me like the oldest guy on their team is still the guy who comes up with the ball and if you watch the way he does it he he did a lot of the things that I you know I used to do and not that he watched me I'm just saying that you know you could see he anticipated well and he he watched angles and he got position on people in a really smart way and we were trying to teach our own players that and it's not something that comes naturally to people which we discovered as coaches when you're trying to teach somebody they just assume oh I just got to pick it up well there's more to it than just being able to pick it up it's being able to pick it up in different scenarios how many goals do you think you assisted on Steve Toll Uh, those were fun times. I, I don't know. I think I think he owes me a few beers here and there. Yeah, I, yeah but Toller Toller's never one to just admit that. But no, um, no. no, it was. Uh, you know what? He was a lot of fun, and and I even remember. You know the memories of our 2003 championship in Rochester, and you know we we're we we're on a man down, and Rochester looks like they're gonna score, and all of a sudden the ball's on the ground, and I remember picking it up in a crowd and just launching it. It was almost like I. I knew he was going to be somewhere, and and uh, he was so fast to pick it up. And yeah, I always uh, I always found it a thrill when you throw it, you know, ahead of Steve Toll, and he he looks like you know he's the you know a kid of in a candy store where he sees this ball and his eyes just get bigger, and it's like that's mine, and it yeah. goes towards the net and score. Yeah, those were those were a lot of fun times with him. Friday night is going to be a very special night, but it'll probably be a very emotional night as well. Uh, JV, a legend in your own right, my friend. I appreciate you giving us some time. Congratulations on an incredible honor and a great career. Uh, I hope Friday is as special as you expect it. I really appreciate it, Teddy, and uh, I love listening to your show. Thanks. I'll never forget our summer together in 2003 when Jimmy played out in Victoria. Uh, he had an incredible one-piece Brine, I believe, uh, body set or uh, pads that was just something out of the 1500s, it looked like. It was so old, um, but it was just molded to his body and just fit his frame perfectly well and just allowed him to continue to play at a natural speed and level. And so many times it didn't look like he was really trying because it came so naturally to him. Uh, It might have just been because of his size um, and his athletic ability, but he just was a natural. I remember, you know, he would, sometimes if the ball was 
on the opposite side of the floor, he, instead of turning his head, he would watch the glass and watch the reflections in the glass to see where players were, where the ball was, so he could always know what was going on. And just little things like that are what made him so special. You could see him, you know, before games, he would be in the corner boards and bouncing the ball off the boards, off the glass, just to try and see how it would ricochet and how it would bounce and where it would end up coming from certain angles so that he knew every time he went for a ball where it was going to be. And that's very much like what Brody Merrill can do now and why Brody has been so successful. Obviously, longevity in Brody's career has been huge, like Jim said, but you don't become one of the all-time great loose ball guys just because you played in the league long. Winning loose balls is one of the most impressive things a player can do because you have to want it more than the other guy. And if you just kind of go lollygagging in the corner, you're probably not going to come out with it against the guy who's going in full speed, head up, stick in front of him, and trying to push you off the ball. And Jim Veltman was great at it. Brody Merrill is great at it. But Jim Veltman will always be the best. So thanks to Jim for giving us some time. Uh, Friday night will be a very special night if you can watch that game on BR Live, even if you can just watch... The opening ceremonies, I highly recommend it. Um, Jamie Dowick is on record of saying, you know, when he first took over the team at that time, it was Whipper's moment. So that's why they retired his number first. And then they quickly moved on to retiring Doyle's number because he was still the guy in Toronto. But he always knew that Veltman's number would get retired. And this just seemed like the right time. My guess next year, if San Diego pays a visit to Toronto, You'll see Josh Sanderson's number 19 go up and join them as well because he's probably the next one. That'll about do it here for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Uh, thanks to Julian Garitano. Thanks to Pat Gregoire and the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Veltman himself. Always great chatting with number 32. Six games this weekend, four Friday, one Saturday, one on Sunday. Make sure you check them all out. On BR Live, if you're in Denver, Nighthawks and Mammoth. And what will be a great game as Ryan Banash returns to the Loud House for the first time since being traded at the deadline for Corey Vitarelli. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games, everybody. And until next time, be excellent to each other. <laughs>